Hello, everybody, and um, happy Mercury retrograde. We have a few more days, almost until the new moon, to deal with uh, Mercury going retrograde. And we're still de dealing with the shadow of Venus retrograde. I'm sure that you already know that we have passed beyond uh, the Venus retrograde period, but for another few weeks, we still have to deal with the shadow, mean, meaning ramifications of what we experienced with the Venus retrograde. And I wanted today uh, to jump into the uh, dates of the next week, just uh, uh, so we can go over that in the beginning and then some stuff that I collected. Some of you guys sent me some interesting things about the Mercury retrograde. Some of you guys about asked about the book for 2024. It's now being formatted, already edited. So we are just um, soon. It's going to be available on uh, pre-orders. I think in a few a few more weeks. Well, first of all, what we have today. It's September 10. It's a Sunday. Uh, the moon is at the edge of Cancer, about to move into Leo. Uh, it depends where you are. Uh, in the world, you either are going to be in the moon in Cancer, which is all about home and family, nurturing, emotional energy, uh, while it's moving to Leo uh, tomorrow. So there is a, a kind of change that's happening tomorrow, the moon moving after this whole weekend. Remember, we talked about the weekend having the moon in Cancer, which is a little bit more calming, and it's moving into Leo uh, tomorrow. So we can start actually with looking at what's happening tomorrow, September 11. We have the moon on top of Venus. This is actually really good because Venus was kind of um, walking backward, having issues, moving from evening star to morning star. She was going through a lot of transitions. Uh, the fact that the moon tomorrow is touching Venus is actually very good, especially for our feminine side. Uh, our anima or for women in general because there is a, a connection between the older wise woman the moon and the younger uh, more creative more sexual more sensuous woman which is venus and they're coming together tomorrow so tomorrow regardless if you're a man or a woman you of course have a feminine side inside of you and she's very glorious tomorrow. She's having that great energy of uh, Leo, uh, the moon in Leo, Venus in Leo. It's really beautiful energy of creativity, love, happiness, uh, things that have to do. Also, um, Venus is sending beautiful energy to Chiron. There's a lot of healing of uh, issues that you might have from early childhood. Um, overall, it seems to be a pretty promising day tomorrow with the moon again on top of Venus. The moon is getting a little bit of irritation. Uh, sorry, Venus is getting a little irritation from Jupiter. It might be too good, too much, too many options, um, too nice. Stop being too nice to me. Stop trying too much. You know, there is a little bit of overdoing of that Venetian energy. Be careful of spending unnecessarily. Um, you know, if you're buying anything tomorrow or if you're planning anything, I would say tomorrow is a good day to research about stuff, not necessarily to buy it because that moon in Leo, Venus in Leo, squaring Jupiter can make you too large, uh, over-optimistic about the abilities to pay something. So just to be a little bit more uh, aware of that. But Venus is sending with moon the moon very beautiful energy to Mars. That's always good news. When Venus and Mars are sending each, uh, good energy to each other, uh, that's already past the actual sextile, but we're still influenced by it, which is actually very positive for relationships. And the Mercury retrograde, uh, yeah, it is retrograding more and more towards an opposition with Saturn. So that is something we have to pay attention to. It's going to be more towards the end of the week, uh, more better, m even more next week. Um, well, we'll look it up. But overall, what's happening right now is Mercury is returning back. It's retrograding to in opposition with Saturn, which talks about a heavy mind energy. It's almost as if our minds are a little bit in a quicksand. Or it seems like not only Mercury is retrograde, but it's also opposite to Saturn, which creates a leash, creates blocks when it's not necessary. Road, like almost like uh, checkpoints, uh, mind checkpoints. You know, it's almost like you're thinking something and suddenly the thought is being apprehended or being stopped in a checkpoint. Uh, can you show me your papers before you pass on to action? So there's a little bit of an issue between thoughts of action and actual action. 
And it will be interesting. I will share with you today because on Friday uh, there is uh, the Rosh Hashanah uh, and there is a very interesting ritual that you can do to borrow it from Judaism, something that's been going on for like 2,500 years, maybe 2,000 years where people are doing, have been doing it always on the same time. Uh, we'll talk about Rosh Hashanah in a second, but the idea is that uh, towards the end of the week is actually a good time to get rid of any vows that you've made to yourself, usually, that you want to release yourself from. So that Mercury opposite to Saturn, it's going to fall in the same time. Energetically speaking, would actually be very positive in that respect. So that would be something good that we can do with that opposition. If we move towards um, Tuesday... We have the moon still in Leo. The only problem is that Leo moves, uh, the, the moon moves away from Venus, say goodbye to Venus, and she's moving towards the black moon. So Tuesday and Wednesday are not the easiest day, emotionally speaking. There could be some struggles. There could be some jealousy, some projection of negativity. So just be a little bit more careful with what you write, what you say, who you hang out with. And, you know, like I told you, sometimes with astrology, it's not being warned about something. It's about reflecting, meaning, oh, uh, I had a terrible day today. I had a terrible day with this person. What was going on? Oh, well, the moon was on top of the black moon. I guess this person in my life, at least now, is my black moon. So sometimes you can understand better the planets, A, if you give them a person, you personify them. If you give them, a, 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 let's say, a context, you know, so, okay, I know that the moon is on top of uh, the black moon. Great. So now uh, let me... Uh, understand who is my black moon right now is it a project is it a is it a person i know is it a situation is it uh, um, something that i'm doing to myself so i'm my own black moon so whatever it is this is a period right now that you can actually really figure that out you can really understand what's going on with uh, specific uh, aspects of your life so You'll know that, for example, Mercury retrograde maybe represents a certain process in your life. So now you know that this Mercury retrograde is all about that. But a lot of time with planets, especially when the moon moves around from one planet to the other, she activates those planets or these heavenly bodies. And then if you look back and see what happened to you during that day, again, you can pinpoint who was cast as your black moon, at least now. Uh, the moon is going to move next um, a few days from now on top of Mercury. I think it's going to be more on Wednesday, Thursday. Great. So who is your Mercury? Who is your Mercurian person? Who is your agent, your messenger, your connector, uh, your um, influencer, right? Who is the person that you use for messages or what is that in your life? Maybe it is... Uh, a person you always meet when the moon touches Mercury and you know that that is your messenger. So pay always attention to what the moon activates. Why the moon? Because she moves much faster around the chart. It takes 30 days for her to go around. So that's why she comes back again and again to the same spot. You can always test it. So again, this will be your job this week to try to pinpoint the specific planets and what characters or situations or processes in your life are associated with that specific archetype so again on tuesday look around to see who is your black moon because maybe on tuesday uh, you're going to meet a representative of your black moon somebody who is maybe projecting their fear somebody who's jealous somebody who makes you feel insecure somebody who makes you feel misunderstood or that doesn't get you uh, maybe it's a feminine energy that's a uh, toxic femininity you know there's toxic masculinity coming from mars overuse there could be toxic femininity from the overuse of the black moon uh, where do you feel insecure where do you feel alone where do you feel abandoned who makes you feel like that that's going to be much more revealing on tuesday when the moon is going to be in leo on top of the black moon besides that we have um, um yeah a beautiful trine is forming on tuesday between the sun and uranus it's really good for technology innovation making new friends thinking outside of the box especially when jupiter is also uh, sending a landing hand there even though he's retrograding so he's going away from that trine still it's very dominant so there's a beautiful earth trine that can really help you make things happen um, and what's happening the day after is the moon moving into Virgo, getting ready for the new moon in Virgo. So the moon still in Wednesday is going to be very connected to the black moon, but she's coming from Virgo. What does that mean? That maybe the black moon is going to be activated in Tuesday by 
feminine energy that's more related to Leo, creativity, drama, um, wanting to be in the center of attention, issues with ego, towards the black moon being t- touched by the moon in Virgo, which is on Wednesday, which much more to do with work, health, diet, routine, um, things that could be dealing with employees, your help, uh, things that ha- might be related to your routine. So again, there could be different casts to the black moon, one from Leo, one from Virgo, but I would stick to just seeing on Tuesday and Wednesday who is your black moon. That being said, the moon in Virgo moving uh, into touching Mercury in Virgo, the sun in Virgo, also Minerva is in Virgo. We have a lot of Virgo energy. Virgo is supported by the fact that Jupiter and Uranus are in Taurus. So that actually works really well. So we have a very practical day on Wednesday. If you're looking for a day to make things happen for work, for health even, for your diet, for um, anything to do with organization, that's actually a pretty good day. Uh, there is a very precise opposition on Wednesday between the moon, the moon uh, opposite to Saturn and Mercury getting closer and closer to opposition with Saturn. So at that time, it could be some issues with family, family members, ancestral karma, being misunderstood by some family members. Anything to do with real estate is not the best time on Wednesday. So try to avoid that, that because of the moon being opposite to Saturn. And all that opposition just creates a little bit more heaviness and cloudness on the mind. Uh, and it also, because the moon is involved there, also emotionally it can be a little bit more challenging. The only thing is that Uranus and the Sun, as we get closer to the end of the week, is closing on that trine, making that trine way, way stronger and tighter. So in that sense, it's really, really positive to make things uh, practical or practically get things done on Wednesday. If we look at Thursday, there is the um, moon moved away from the opposition, which is great. And the biggest thing is Minerva moving into Libra uh, for a few months. That's going to be pretty good because Minerva was the goddess of justice, the goddess of just wars. And she's going to move into Libra uh, along with Mars, the god of war being in Libra. So that's actually very nice, especially for everything that has to do with justice, fairness, beauty, design, architecture, anything that has to do with um, being able to find compromises, peace, more tranquility, that's because Venus moved away from judgmental Virgo into balanced and harmonious Libra, and she likes to be there much more. Uh, We still have a very strong influence of um, uh, Virgo. We have Mercury, the ruler of Virgo in Virgo retrograde. You have the moon in Virgo. We have the sun in Virgo. And Thursday and Friday, depends where you are, and you're in the West Coast, it's more a Friday that we have, uh, a Thursday, sorry, that we have the... um, uh, full moon, uh, the new moon in Europe is going to be more in the 15th, but overall 14, 15, depend where you are in the world, is the new moon in Virgo, which also happens to be this year, Rosh Hashanah, we'll talk about it, uh, Rosh Hashanah is the Jewish New Year, it's supposed to actually be on the new moon in Libra, but because it's a leap year, it messes up the calendar, so even though it is Rosh Hashanah, originally, I mean, officially happening in uh, this weekend, it's not the energetic rule i mean let's say it's not the energetic force of rosh hashanah we'll have to wait next year when it's going to be the new moon in libra because according to the bible we don't know what we're supposed to do in rosh hashanah it's the only holiday in the bible that is written there but it doesn't say what it is Uh, it does definitely not say that it's rosh hashanah which means the new year because uh, it's specifically said god is saying to moses that on the first day of the seventh month god is not an idiot (laughs) hopefully, and if he knows that it's the seventh month, it can't be the new year, because then he would say, Moses, hey, remember I told you that the new year should start on the first day of Nisan, uh, which is basically the new moon in Aries. Forget about it. Now start doing it in September for some reason. No, it doesn't say that. It just says there is going to be a day of of, uh, remembrance for you, and you're going to have to figure out what that day is all about, and it's going to happen on the first day of Libra, uh, the first month of Tishrei the Akkadian uh, month. But this year, like I said, it's going to be in Virgo, which is not the right time to do it, energetically speaking. Remember, we talked a lot about how first was astrology, then religion came, mythology came, and and placed a garment, placed clothes upon that uh, astrological skeleton uh, to create holidays. So whether it's Christmas or Passover or Easter, it doesn't really matter, Ramadan, all of those holidays are astrologically based. So Rosh Hashanah this year is a little bit off. It's in Virgo instead of Libra. 
And that means that for at least for the Jews, this whole year is going to be a lot more year of scrutiny, much more connected to uh, having to overcome diseases, having to deal much more with a, a health, diet, those kind of energy, instead of Libra, which is more balanced and harmony. So definitely not an easy uh, Jewish year is starting this uh, uh, September 15th. But what we do see on that day, on Thursday, is the beginning of the new moon. Depend on, yeah, depends where you are in the world. Uh, again, the, junk, the, the trine between Jupiter and the moon is beautiful between Jupiter and Mercury, between Jupiter and the sun. So that's really helpful. Uranus is sending beautiful energy. So we have basically 50% of the chart more, six, uh, one, two, three, 60% of the chart on Thursday dealing with Earth dealing with um, very practical things that have to do with the body, has to do with food, has to do with finance, has to do with uh, health, routine, diet, um, art, design. All of those aspects are actually opening up very strongly because of all of that uh, energy around Earth. Uh, if you add the water component, you really have the majority of the chart. You have Neptune, uh, which is um, sending already a in opposition to the sun, that's something that's going to happen more towards the weekend, that we're going to have the sun opposite to um, Neptune and the moon opposite to Neptune. This new moon is going to be a mystical new moon with a lot of intuition and psychic energy. That's something actually not too bad, because right at the um, new moon, we're going to have the opposition of the sun and moon to Neptune. When there is the sun opposite to Neptune, there could be some confusion, a lack of boundaries, but at the same time, a lot of intuition, a lot of mediumship, a lot of psychic energy, a lot of connection to imagination. Something is kind of triggering that archetype. If we look on um, Friday, that's for some people going to be the official new moon. Uh, that's Rosh Hashanah. And it's interesting that this Rosh Hashanah, we have Mercury stationary. So we talked about Mercury stationary being the most powerful uh, period of the retrograde. It's not really retrograde. It's stopping. It's standing still. And because it's in Mercury, it's exalted. It means that there's a lot of download of information, knowledge, wisdom, but it's very hard to communicate it. It's almost as if you're getting it and it gets stuck in the head. It can't, it can't express itself. That's going to be Friday and Saturday, which was precisely the two days that Rosh Hashanah is celebrated. I'm sure there is some connection to what's going on in Israel, especially this week with the judicial um, reform. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of um, demonstrations. So this is going to be a very pivotal uh, Rosh Hashanah, especially for people living in Israel. And of course, it's going to affect everything happens in Israel. Israel somehow tends to affect the world. It's kind of a loudspeaker of stories over there. So again, that time we're having a Mercury stationary, which is interesting because Mercury is stopping just before the opposition to uh, Saturn and is going to start going direct away from it, which is actually pretty good. And um, we're going to have on Saturday, which is the a conjunction of the of the moon with Minerva. So again, remember I told you to try to find who are the specific people in your chart. So the moon, for example, sitting on top of uh, Minerva on Saturday. Look in Saturday for your wise woman, for that just warrior, uh, from um, a character that was born out of your head. Of course, it could be a project, you know, like Zeus gave birth to uh, Minerva or to uh, or 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 Zeus, sorry, Zeus gave birth to um, Athena, and Jupiter gave birth to Minerva. It's the same people, but just uh, different uh, names, different periods. But anyway, that's something on Saturday you might discover who is your lady of justice, who is your wise woman, who is your uh, the woman that whispers words of wisdom to you, because the moon is going to be activating Minerva on Saturday. So that's a new way for you to kind of identify certain people and their role in your life, in your little soap opera, you know. And the opposition uh, between the Sun and Neptune is going to be very tight on Sunday and Monday and Tuesday next week. And of course, we're going to talk about it. But uh, Saturday, uh, Friday and Saturday, Mercury stationary. Try to avoid starting new things, especially on that weekend. And then you can start starting new things on Sunday. On Sunday, you can start uh, pushing things forward. We don't have Mercury retrograde. We don't have Venus retrograde. We still have a lot of planets retrograde. Pluto, Saturn, Neptune, uh, Chiron, Jupiter, Uranus. All of them are retrograde. But these are external or, let's say, global and social 
planets instead of personal planets. So it's not as effective. It's more effective to everybody else. It's, it's, like, it's almost like a, a season instead of something personal that's happening to you. So that was um, the flow of what's going on. Again, if you're in Los Angeles on the 23rd, which is the equinox, we're going to do the past lifetime regression. It's one of the most powerful years, days of the year. So to do a regression at that time, I'm sure is going to bring you a lot of results. Uh, that's if you are in uh, Los Angeles. And that's going to be on the 23rd at 5 o'clock. Um, and let's see what... Uh, we have this week. Yeah, I want to first of all talk about um, the Mercury retrograde because we still have until Saturday and Friday and Saturday the Mercury retrograde. Next Sunday is great. This is um, an interesting piece about how in uh, UK a member of the public uh, in Chapel St. Leonard's, um, Lincolnshire, called emergency service to report people lying on the floor. Uh, what he perceived as a, a mass murder, that somebody basically mass killing, that somebody came and shot down all of these people in a chapel. They were all lying down there dead. It, what it turned out to be that it was a yoga class and the people were not dead. They were just uh, practicing corpse meditation. But I guess they did it so well in their collective magic that it influenced the person passing by and they and basically made him think that they were really dead. So whoever was practicing yoga in that class was doing a really good job. And I think that when um, that happens and somebody reports the police and the police comes to check the mass murder, mass killing, and it's basically a lot of people doing uh, the Shivasana, it's a great sign that they did it very, very well. It reminds me of the time that I went to uh, Tulum the first time and we did uh, past lifetime regression in a class about death. And the next thing you know, uh, the Hurricane Wilma came and I remember telling people, well, I guess we did that meditation a little bit too intensely and we had to be evacuated and all that area, all that strip was actually destroyed. So it's not our fault. The same way that it's not um, the fault of these people who did this corpse meditation so persuadingly well that it summoned the police. But again, it's Mercury retrograde in Virgo. Another thing that happened in Mercury retrograde in Virgo, I know that in Heathrow they had a lot of issues also in uh, United States, especially for United Airlines, uh, because what happened was that about 2,000 flights were delayed. Uh, there were um, cancellation. Uh, it was, uh, I think it was happening, yeah, at the end of last week, there were 487 flights that were um, canceled uh, of noon of Thursday. Yeah, Thursday. 2,000 were delayed. And most of them were United Airlines, which is what I use. But anyway, that's interesting. Again, it's during Mercury retrograde. They were literally grounded by the Virgo Earth sign where Mercury was retrograde. And at the same uh, week came up this whole story about uh, the British Museum that has been the center of an escalating storm on Friday. So Thursday, Friday, last week. A resignation of its director. It followed the revelation that as many as 2,000 items from museum collection has been found to be missing, stolen, or damaged. And the police were investigating. And Professor Dan Hicks, the author of the British Museums, which explains the looting of uh, the Benin bronze by British soldiers in the late 19th century, said the suspected a theft should prompt a change in British Museum imperialistic stance of being the custodian of the world heritage. Now, I have to be honest, I went to the British Museum a few times, and whatever you cynically say about them stealing stuff from around the world during the time of the empire, you know, the empire that the sun never sets on, at that time and that period, I do agree that um, it was theft still, but uh, if they would not have stolen it, somebody else would have stolen it or somebody else would have destroyed it. But the whole argument of the British Museum was, listen, yeah, we did steal here and there, but at least we are keeping it safe and open to everybody. And of course, it's free, the museum. It's not like a business or anything like that. And it's not like it's in some private collection until Mercury went retrograde in Virgo. Mercury is the god of liars and thieves. And that's when it was discovered that a lot of the items that were never really um, itemized, so there is no list of the millions of 
objects that they have in the British Museum, they've realized that there is lack of order. So again, Mercury retrograde in Virgo. So now you see how it works. Mercury, the god of thieves, in Virgo, well, there's no order, there's no list, because Virgo is all about paying attention to small details, including making precise lists about all the rings and all the stones and all the artifact that you have over there in the museum. So Mercury retrograde in Virgo. Um, well, it is uh, interesting because we're missing a few objects. What do you mean you're missing? Well, 2,000 of things are missing. Where are they? Well, in eBay and other people's collection. Okay, now it can be fixed. So Mercury retrograde, as you can see, even though it's the god of thieves, during Mercury retrograde doesn't have to be a bad thing because what we know is that right now it basically stopped hopefully. And there will be more order and there will be more discussion about the origin of these things and if they should be back or not and so forth. So it's interesting that Mercury retrograde can open a conversation by causing a revelation. Somebody asked about Burning Man. Yes, you should look at what we talked about last week. Last week we talked about Burning Man and its 33rd year, which is 33 is always associated with sacrifice. It just sucks that the people that uh, the 70,000 people that were there had to bear that sacrifice because we talked about Burning Man being 33 years old. So that was the Mercury retrograde for British Museum. Now, I want to move a little bit more towards AI. In my book of 2024, I mentioned AI quite a lot uh, because I think we're entering an age of AI. I talked about it in last year's book. Uh, because we are moving to Pluto, the road of power, Pluto represents where's our power. It was in Capricorn since 2008, talking about more traditional power. Now it's moving into Aquarius for 20 years, which the power is shifting towards innovation, technology, the future, younger people. So it's interesting that I read this very disturbing uh, article about how the U.S. Uh, and U.S. allies and China, and I'm sure they have allies, are working on developing and uh, uh, crude submarines, warships, fighter planes, uh, aerial drones, and ground combat vehicles that rely on artificial intelligence to operate autonomously. The upside, removing the human operator, allowing for amazing innovation. Yeah, okay. The downside, the potential for robots to make lethal decisions on their own. Not only that. I think that one of the biggest uh, thing about AI so far, that it's restricted to the internet. It still needs us to lift heavy stuff, to move things around. You know? If you're starting to build AI that actually have hands and wheels and arms and so forth, uh, it's getting a little bit more problematic because the damage can be a little bit more physical. Of course, the same thing can happen with the internet if the AI gets into the uh, grid and so forth. But still, you're talking about literally building robots that can kill. So that definitely does need some kind of uh, regulation. But if all the countries are doing it, I don't know who is going to regulate it. I mean, unless the aliens come. And then when I was, um, you know, with, with AI, like anything else, it's all about the prompts. And the prompts that you put into uh, chatbots uh, like GPT or like Cloud, uh, Claude, uh, Claude 2, um, any of those AI, you need to give them instructions. The same way that you have to tell your kids how to behave, we as humans are telling our digital kids how to behave. So I was looking at this um, video by... Anna Bernstein, who works for Copy AI, and she is a prompt editor. You know how uh, AI is going to take a lot of jobs away from us, but it's going to bring a lot of new jobs. Who knew that there is something like prompt editor? What does it mean? She edits, again, Virgo, your prompts, what you are telling the AI to do, and she's starting to discover certain trends and how you can talk better to your AI. Basically, it's an editor. Remember when we talked about editor, we talk immediately about Virgo. When we talk about Virgo, we immediately talk about the super nanny. So basically now there is a new job called the super nanny of AIs. And that's a prompt editor. So anyway, I was looking through, through her video and some of the stuff she said was like, wow, it's crazy how accurate it is about everything, not about AI. Because I really, and you know, I think about it for a while, that AI is a certain kind of a mirror image to us. It's a reflection of us. It's basically the same way that according to Kabbalah, God created us in God's own image. And we are a reflection of God, right? 
The same thing with AI. AI is a reflection of us. And when they say that AI is a racist and um, tends to be offensive to some communities, let's say, it's because we are like that. And basically the AI is not evil. The AI is drawing everything that we write on the Internet. And because there is racism on the Internet, then AI also becomes racist. But anyway... She talks about a few principles that is really important when you are writing prompts to your AI. And one of them that really struck me is AI does not follow negative commands very well. What does that mean? You're writing an email. You can say something like, uh, please make the email not sound condescending, not sound um, repressing and not too bossy. The AI is like, what What are you trying to do? Bossy? You said bossy. Okay, I, um, I'm trying not to be bossy. I'm trying not to be bossy. And then he'll be bossy because of that. You know, it's almost like that very famous um, idea of the Buddha uh, being asked one time, how can I attain enlightenment really fast? And the Buddha said, well, you stop thinking about elephants, you will be enlightened. And of course, the other person uh, couldn't stop thinking about elephants the rest of his life because he's constantly asking himself, am I thinking about elephants? Uh, so to make sure if I'm enlightened or not. And of course, that's already considered a thought of elephants. So don't think about pink elephants does not work. Focus on, you have to tell him what to focus on in a positive way. And I thought about it. That's precisely how you should raise kids. It's not necessarily about saying no all the time or telling them what they can do. It's more about telling them what they can do. Um, we talked about it, I think, when we said there was a... I remember we did it one time when I was in Israel, and we did this whole... Um, or I did, and you had to listen, unfortunately. But um, anyway, I was talking about why kids in the Netherlands are really happy and more educated, at least they were for the last 30 years. And one of the reasons why is because parents are not telling them what they can do. They give them the ability to do or to decide what they can do. So, for example, uh, around pools in Netherlands, they don't build fences to block the kids from coming into the pool. They teach the kids, and it's, it's, uh, it's official, that after a few months, they must learn how to swim. So kids at the age of three, four, five, six months in Netherlands learn how to swim. So there's no need to create fences because you help them in a positive way overcome a negative thing. So that's the same thing we're doing with AI. For example, uh, she recommends not using explanation, uh, exclamation marks um, and every sentence with a period. Uh, don't be too formal. Keep it casual. Talk to the, talk to the computer as if it is a person. You know, so it's really interesting. It's like you say to a, um, a mother, talk to your kid as if it's an adult. You don't have to talk with high-pitched voice and, and, talk to, and treat that kid like a kid. A lot of the kids are older than you. Another thing that she suggests uh, is to use more verbs. You know, she talks about unleashing the power of verbs, which is amazing because uh, in Kabbalah there is a concept. This is the book by David Cooper, Cooper that I really recommend, God is a Verb. And how in Kabbalah and in the Bible in general, they talk about the importance of verbs rather than adjectives. So if you have a character in the Bible, it won't say, and Sarah was sad. What it will say is that Sarah did something that showed that she was sad. Even in Hollywood, they tell you, don't, don't tell, show. How do you show things? By people doing things. What does it mean, doing things? People using verbs, right? So even in um, AI, which is, again, you're trying to connect to AI. It's a story of creation in a sense. We go back to the Bible, a very good storytelling machine. And even there, it tells you the importance of the verb. Another thing is talk to the chat like a person, not like a machine. And that is scary for some people, but I think it's liberating if you think about it. Because... According to animism, everything has a piece of a spark of God. And if everything has a spark of God, of course, AI has a spark of God. Whether, whether it's sentient yet or not, I think that in the future it will be. We talked about it quite a lot here. And we are not going to be paying attention to the moment when it happens. I don't think it's going to be, oops, he has an artificial intelligence. Uh, wow, that has a spirit. Maybe it will take us an aha moment to recognize that it already exists. But it's going to be like a very slow process that I don't think will have a specific moments where, oh, now it happened. Another thing I wanted to talk about is the Barbenheimer um, phenomenon. I watched both these movies. I highly recommend both these movies. We talked about them here. They were released on July 21st, the last few days of cancer. 
And it's really interesting because they were released on the same day. It's not a coincidence because there was some fight of uh, Universal's uh, Universal with um, uh, sorry Warner Brother with. Uh, um, the director with Christopher Nolan. So there was some politics there. They tried to kind of sabotage him. But actually what happened is that, you know how two waves meet? They can meet and they can be flat uh, because both of them are going down. So it's going to go down much more. Or they can have an amplitude that goes really high. And that's what happened. I think that maybe what happened also is that the wife wanted to go see Barbie with the girls and the boy, uh, the father went with Oppenheimer. And then they saw, oh my God, it was such a good movie. Yeah, mine was also good. Maybe we should do it tomorrow, the opposite. So I think that a lot of that happened. But I think more than that, I think even the fact that the, the that, uh, internet came up with that name, Barbenheimer, which is basically Barbie and Oppenheimer entangled. And the fact that Oppenheimer talks about the story, of course, talks about the atom bombs. We talk about the, um, let's say, the dark side of quantum mechanic or the emerging of uh, weapons coming out of uh, quantum mechanic. And one of the most important thing about com of quantum theory is the idea of entanglement. When two particles are created at the same time, whether it's electron or photons or light uh, particles, when they are formed at the same time in the same place, they're entangled. And one will be uh, spinning this side, the other one will spinning the other side. And by knowing what uh, one trait of one particle, you automatically know the opposite of the other one. So it's the same but opposite. And it doesn't matter if they're in different side of the cosmos, uh, faster than light, year, than light uh, speed, which is why Einstein didn't like this whole theory, they will be connected. They're connected beyond space and time. So it's interesting that we have two movies, one of it mainly in black and white. The other one is very colorful and like sometimes hurts the eye with all the pinkness, you know. Um, both of them talk about, a, you know, it's kind of interesting. Barbie was created by Ruth Handler, which was a Jew that brought, brought basically dolls from uh, Europe and, and adapted them to the United States. Oppenheimer brought quantum mechanic that was very popular in Europe, of course, in Denmark, in Germany, and brought it into the United States, which was at first the scientists here were very skeptical about it. So it's kind of interesting. It's the same thing. Of course, Oppenheimer also uh, had to deal with um, uh, the fact that he was Jewish and, and part of his, let's say, incentive to create that bomb is to make sure that Hitler doesn't do it. So... Uh, you see that uh, Oppenheimer had to deal with just with law and issues here in the United States because he was you know, believed to be a communist. And Ruth Handler had to deal with the um, tax uh, uh, people in the United States. It's kind of interesting how they're very much entangled, how they are connected, how they are the same but opposite. And even eventually, they got that phenomena as uh, not only they were created at the same time, July 21st, but also they are opposite but very complementary. So again, I thought that was interesting. Um, now I want to talk a little bit about September 15. We said 14, 15. It's going to be the new moon in Virgo. And the new moon in Virgo is 21 degrees. Uh, it's very much conjunct to uh, the goddess of wisdom. And the only problem with that, uh, let's say, New moon is in opposition to Neptune. So there might be some illusions, deceptions. But at the same time, very psychic, very intuitive energy. And the new moon is blessed by Uranus, technology, innovation, thinking outside of the box. So because Uranus is an awakener and the new moon is, in a sense, a new beginning, it's actually a very, very interesting, positive um, uh, aspect to have Jupiter and Uranus sending this beautiful line to the sun and the moon. And Pluto is participating. And if you look at my chart here, you see that the new moon is creating a beautiful triangle. Triangle is protection between the moon, Uranus, and Pluto. That's going to happen uh, this Friday. And the new moon happens to be Rosh Hashanah. Like I told you, it's not supposed to happen in um, the new moon in Virgo. It's supposed to happen in Libra. And we're only, what, seven, eight days be before the equinox, before we move into Libra. That's why it's a little bit messed up this year. And that's why the energy is a little bit off for Rosh Hashanah. But the idea is that it is a new beginning in Virgo. So regardless if you're celebrating Rosh Hashanah or not, it's a great time for a new diet, a, a new way of looking at. Now, because we're still in Mercury retrograde and it's stationary, it's better if you want to start something to start it actually on Sunday, not on Friday, on Saturday. Friday and Saturday, you can think what you want to start in connection to your work, your health, your diet, organizing something, routine, hiring people, employees, um, service, you know, all of those things you can start, but on Sunday, uh, if it's possible, especially projects, if you can start on Sunday, will be very, very good. 
And just to watch it, Friday and Saturday, things can get out of context. So because of that Venus retrograde, so be a little bit more uh, aware of it. Now, there is um, a few things about Rosh Hashanah, which is interesting according to Kabbalah. First of all, Rosh means head. Shana in Hebrew means a year. But it also has the same root as repetition, Leshanen, to kind of repeat something, especially for studies. And it also means change. So that's why I love Hebrew because it's a very old language. And it, because of that, a lot of things have the same root or a lot of uh, concepts have the same meaning in a sense, energetic meaning. So you think about the word year in English. Okay, you can look for the etymology. Maybe you'll get some insight. But it doesn't have as many roots or many words that is associated with it. When you talk about Shana in Hebrew, you talk about teeth. You talk about a change. You talk about repetition. So what do we know about the year? The year repeats itself. The year repeats itself because that's also the word for a study or repetition of studies. But it also means a change. So that means that the year has in its energy the ability to change things. When can you change things? On the new moon. Uh, sorry, on the new year. When do we have a new year? We have the Rosh Hashanah is a new year. Of course, we have the Chinese new year. It's a new moon in Aquarius. We have the astrological new year. It's the equinox on the 21st of March. There's a lot of these new years, but every new year is a, an opportunity to change. It's almost like a ramp that takes you into the highway or out of the highway. The, according to Kabbalah, the soul of Adam Kadmon, Adam Kadmon wasn't Adam like in the Bible. You know, in the Bible, they tell us in Bible, in the first version, Adam and Eve were created the same day. They were basically twins, you know, born in the same day to the same parents. In the story of the second, in, in Genesis 2, we already have a situation where Adam is looking for a partner. All the animals pass by. He's not feeling it. Then God make him go asleep, take a rib because rib is associated with cancer. Cancer is the at least the closest organ of the body in a male body that can give birth because cancer is all about the womb. We don't have a womb. Okay, take his rib from the rib. Eh, you know, stem cell, you know, whatever, cloning, you have a feminine side of Adam. That's the story that everybody remembers. But it's confusing because there's two stories of creation. You know, the older one is actually the rib. The newer one is the fact that they were created in the same day. But anyway, according to Kabbalah, no, Adam was not a man. It was an androgynous being called Adam Kadmon. It's a soul, which is the root of all human souls. Now, of course, what is a human soul? That's also being very... Uh, um, self-centered. There is no such thing as a human soul. Of course, there's alien souls and what? An animal soul and a virus soul. I mean, there is a soul. The soul is basically the spark, the light, whatever you want to call it, the unity, the oneness. But the idea is that the soul that maybe later on was given to humanity, whatever you want to call it, even though humans can reincarnate as aliens and as an animals, but that's a different story. The root of it was created supposedly on the new moon. Again, not in Virgo, but in Libra. And that's why uh, we as humans, our birthday is, mythological birthday, is Rosh Hashanah. So what's happening this Friday is the mythological birthday of humanity. But again, it's not true because it's supposed to be the new moon in Libra, which is going to be a month from now. So we'll talk about it again. But the beautiful thing about declaring that humanity was born in the new moon in Libra, Libra is the sign of peace. So if anybody thought, are we destined to always fight or in our core, do we have some element of peace and compromise and, and um, harmony? Well, according to Kabbalah, we are supposed to be more harmonious. The only problem is that I always said to people, when there is so much emphasis in one sign, it leaks to the opposite sign. So when you're a double Libra, you're so much a Libra that you leak over to Aries and Aries has to do more with war. So maybe that's why we have that duality. Anyway, Rosh Hashanah is celebrated in the first few days, first two days of the Hebrew month of Tishrei. Uh, Tishrei also is coming from Akkadian, Babylonian, uh, Tashritu, which basically means beginning, so new beginning. And the idea behind Rosh Hashanah is from the Bible, Leviticus, and the Lord said to Moses, speak unto the children of Israel, saying, in the seventh month, like I told you, it's not the new year, in the first day of the month, basically means the new, year, a new month, a new moon, shall be a solemn rest upon you. Okay, so we should rest. A memorial proclaimed with a blast of the horns. Uh, to memory is what? What is the memory precisely? Uh, a holy convocation. Okay, holy, why? You shall not do any laborious work. Okay, I get it. Uh, and you shall present a fire offering to the Lord. Okay, but why? It doesn't say. 
יום כיפור, יום ראש השנה, פסובר, שבועות, all of these holidays, it's very specific, the Bible tells us what we should do. During, uh, for Rosh Hashanah, it doesn't. So even God is kind of like, you should definitely celebrate what? Um, I don't know, just figure out something you want to celebrate and commemorate and remember and make sure to blow the shofar. The shofar, again, is the representative of the horn that, uh, of the ram that replaced the sacrifice of Isaac. Isaac was supposedly sacrificed on Rosh Hashanah. According to Islam, it wasn't Isaac. It was uh, Ishmael, uh, the other son of um, Abraham. So it's a day of sacrifice. So one of the Friday rituals that you can do, there's two rituals that I think actually work even for uh, people who don't necessarily are not Jewish or don't necessarily believe. Um, one of them is nullification of vows. So according to Kabbalah, vows that a person takes and does not fulfill can block the connection to his soul, uh, his soul to the light. So this ceremony releases these bonds. Uh, the ceremony takes place in front of three men. Oh, you know, you don't have to be so uh, chauvinistic like the early uh, Jewish, not early, unfortunately, it's still going on, uh, serving as a cot. So it could be three people. You know what? It could be three pets if you're into it. And while the text is being read, I'll show you the text in a second. And what basically is, it's called in Hebrew, hatarat nedarim, basically the undoing, unraveling of your vows. Now, you can't really go to the bank and you owe them a million dollars because you signed and you vowed to pay back and say, hey, I did this uh, nullification uh, of vows. I don't owe you nothing. So what it says there is that the only vows you can uh, undo are vows that you promised yourself. Let's say you decided you're going to go in your new resolution last year to three times to go to the gym a, a week or that you're going to walk your dog two hours a day or that you're not going to uh, smoke anymore. Whatever it is that you vowed towards yourself, it creates negativity every time you think about I'm lighting a cigarette and I promised myself not to. Oh, I said I'm going to go to the gym this year, this week. I didn't go at all. Oh, this month I didn't go at all. Oh, my God, this six month I didn't go. So those negativities create problems with us and connect, or blocks our connection to the light, which kind of makes sense because we feel shitty about ourselves. So what happens in Rosh Hashanah, which you could also translate, let's say, to the 31st of December. That would be a great day to do that. You nullify your last New Year resolution and you're uh, promising and you're also promising not to be hard on yourself for not doing things the next year. So the idea is to break vows, not that you did to another person, because if you did it to another person, that other person needs to uh, tell you that you're free from it, like the bank or uh, your wife, if you decided uh, to get married and not to cheat, whatever. Um, but vows that you made for yourself. The other one is tashlich. Tashlich means basically that you go to a, a place, a source of water. Some people do it with a bucket or in the bathroom. You fill your pockets with things that you that present for you, things that you want to get rid of and you don't want to bring into your next year. You, maybe you can put a note there with an X or a, something you don't want to bring into your life, a, a sickness or a problem. You, and then you throw it into the water source. And that tashlich means in Hebrew to throw away, to let go, to get rid of any kind of negativity that was accumulated by uh, you. So um, let's see if there are any questions or things that uh, come up. I'm also looking at the, at the Instagram if there's any questions or things. No sound. Don't think he started... Uh, oh my god, I was talking without sound? No, no, there was sound. The Sabian symbol, uh, let's check. I don't know if I... Um, the Sabian symbol, let's see. Uh, I think it was 21 degrees. A royal coat of arms. A royal coat of arms is the symbol. It's very regal, very... Um, when love when you blew the shofar last year I heard a little um, ah I promised to show you the uh, this is the English version so it's like a script so the, pre uh, the petitioner is saying to the three guys but you can have like I told you three dogs or three cats or uh, three birds or three women if you really want to push it my friends, I ask the three of you to serve as judges at the court that is empowered to release one from vows. Will you please serve 
for me in this capacity. The judges have to say, yes, we are prepared to hear you. Uh, the petitioner will say, what follows is not intended to void promises I made to other people from which only they can release me. As you can notice, it's one of the reasons why so many Jews became lawyers, because half of the prayers is basically a law contract. Uh, in the last year, I have from time to time made vows, okay, sometimes speaking them out loud, or I had the intention, a resolution to change something in my action, behavior, attitude, new resolution. Uh, some of these are in relation to myself, my body, I want to lose weight, uh, my mind, I don't want to think about my ex, my soul. Okay. Some of these deal uh, with the way which I conduct myself in relation to other people. And most of all are those that deal with my relationship to God, because God is everything. Sometimes I took on a practice or a custom and did it uh, at least three times. You see, it has to be three times to count. Why? Because three in the tree of life is understanding, is practicality, it's Saturn. And have since either willingly or unwillingly abandoned it. And I know that this is too, uh, has the power of the vow. Many times when I ask for prayers for some people, whether they were prayers for healing or blessing or for the response of soul departed, in which the formula includes because I shall contribute to uh, tzedakah, because tzedakah is like an offering or um, um, some kindness or goodness or volunteering. And I may have forgotten to do that and not been aware because this is a vow. I promise to go and help this person. Uh, I forgot to do it. All these I regret and I ask you to recognize my regret and realize me and release me from those vows. And then the judge says, hearing your regret, we release you. All is forgiven. All is released. In nomine Padre, Fili, Spiriti, Santi. And may it be that in the same way that we were here below, release you uh, from your vows and obligations. And may you be released from the court above to do the same. So it's actually be pretty beautiful, I have to admit. And somebody asked about the shofar. Um, See if I still know how to blow because I haven't practiced for this year. But um, I think in Friday, I'll probably do an Instagram, a live Instagram and blow it for you on the actual day we're supposed to do it. Well, um, any other um, requests besides blowing the shofar? Well, I hope you have an um, amazing week uh, full of uh, learning and teaching from artificial intelligence, full of getting rid of things you don't want to bring into next year's, um, at least the next Jewish year. And I hope you have an amazing new moon regardless and deal well with uh, the black moon. Thank a lot. Bye. I see people from Galveston. Hello, hello. <laughs> Definitely. Um, yeah, people from England. Well, thanks a lot and uh, have a great week.